Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connecting there. Uh, Everybody connecting online, we're happy that you found us there. Remember, there's a chat feature there. If you have any prayer requests or anything you want to share with us, questions you might have, you can put it there. We'll respond to you. Uh, Also, you can subscribe right there. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our videos and services as they're posted there. We're glad we have that available for you. Uh, that video we just saw from CIY, uh, we, we love having our young people be able to go to these weeks of uh, CIY camp and, and White Mills Christian Camp, all of those things. It just makes such an impact in their lives. And your support of the church helps us be able to do that, make that available for them. So all of our uh, volunteers and staff that work with those events, we thank you so much. Let's thank them all right now with a round of applause. Thank you. There was a woman who uh, had uh, a pet duck, and she brought it to the veterinary clinic, very concerned. It was just totally limp, wasn't moving, wasn't doing anything. Laid it on the table in there. The doctor came in and uh, took out a stethoscope and listened to it and looked up at the lady and shook his head and said, I'm sorry, your, your duck is dead. Cuddles is dead. She just began to wail. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Surely he's not really dead. I mean, how can you really tell? Maybe he's just in a coma or something. You haven't even done any tests or anything. Well, the vet kind of rolled his eyes and went back out, and he came back in with this black Labrador retriever. The dog came up to the table, stood up on his hind legs, put his paws up on the table, and just sniffed the duck from one end to the other, looked up at the vet, just shook his head. The vet just patted him on the head and took him back out. Came back in with a cat. Cat jumped right up on the table, sniffed the duck from one end to the other. Sat back on his rear end and looked up at the vet and shook its head. Cat, he he told him to go ahead. The cat jumped down and left. The vet looked at the woman and said, I'm sorry. But it is 100% without any shadow of a doubt. That's a dead duck. She said, oh, I just can't believe it. She was just crying. He went over to his computer, and he printed out a a bill for her and gave her the bill. She looked at the bill and said, $150 just to tell me my duck is dead? He said, well, it would have just been 20 bucks, but you insisted that we do the test. And the other charges are for the lab report and the CAT scan. Yeah, lame duck joke. That's what I got. All right. Uh, It's my birthday. Cut me some slack. All right. Here you go. All right. (laughs) I've been looking for a way to use that joke, and I finally worked it in. Because what we're talking about today, we're in this series called Be Encouraged, and we're just going straight through the book of 2 Corinthians. And, And in the section we're looking at today, Paul talks to us about getting the most for our money. We don't like to think we're throwing money away, right? For that's not really worth it. That's not really getting a good return on the investment. And, and that's part of what he's dealing with in this passage. Remember uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the, 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 the chapter we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Paul had encouraged them to look at the example of the Macedonian churches and how they had responded to this calling for a special offering to help out their brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. And 
the, the churches in Macedonia had done a great job of responding. And even though they were going through hard times and in poverty, they, they gave a very generous offering. And Paul says, that's the example I want you to look at. I want you to see. And, and so he had challenged them to remember that. Now here in chapter nine, he gives a series of instructions and incentives on how you can make the most from your money. So I want us to learn that from those two categories, both the instructions and the incentives on how to make the most of our money. Now, I'm just going to read through these verses to start with. I want you to follow along, and I want you to be listening for instructions and listening for what might be the incentives for following these instructions that Paul gives. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to pick up with verse 1 and go through verse 15. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, brothers to visit you in, in, in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. The righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Did you catch some of the instructions that he was given about how to do your generosity, your giving? as a Christ follower. Let's go back and look at it. And let's break it down a little bit. What are the basic steps or instructions for, for being the generous people that God wants us to be? Well, it starts out with a very simple part of it. Uh, give. You think, well, Pastor Andy, that's not very deep. Well, it is because there's a lot of Christians today that just don't give. They just don't. They make every excuse. They tell about every reason why they can't do it. They could come up with a lot of stories about why it's impossible for them to do this. But Paul just gave them the example of the churches in Macedonia in poverty and going through all this struggle. And they gave. So he says, give. Look at verse 7 again. Each of you should give what you've decided in your hearts to give. How many did he say didn't need to do this? He didn't leave anybody out, did he? 
Do you think some of them had financial pressures in their lives? Bills to pay? Maybe they, they were struggling in some ways in their lives. Do you think some of them were like that in the church at Corinth? Yeah, absolutely. But he said each of you should do what? Give. You see, that's the nature of God. He's a giving God. And if we're going to represent him well in the world and he is a generous giving father, then we need to reflect that and who we are. So it starts out with simple thing, give. Each of you should give. I, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I, I, I really enjoy this, but it can sometimes pile up a little bit. Uh, as a pastor, I love doing weddings. Uh, and of course, I also get asked to do funerals. How many of you, there was a movie a while back, I never saw it, but it's Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, you remember that t- movie title it was years ago? Well, I looked on my calendar and I had five weddings and a funeral on my calendar. And actually now it was six. I did one now, so it's back to five, okay? So five weddings and a funeral. And when I'm doing weddings, as much as possible, I try to do some premarital counseling preparation for the couple that's getting married. And the more you have, the harder it is to work that in. But but we've got a a program we do with the five love languages and, and things like that. But one of the things I talk to people about is a little bit on the financial side. And I I ask them to to make a budget, not just tell me they have a budget, but actually write it down, right? Put it in, right? Because you don't really have a budget if you don't write it down. You really don't. You think you do, but you don't. You have to write it down, every little detail. Well, in the budget, I I started this years ago. I, I, I had somebody tell me this. It says it's a real simple plan for a young couple to start early in their marriage, right when they get married. Or even before you get married, you could start this plan. They call it the, the 10 10 80 principle, right? 10 10 80 principle is really simple, really easy. Here's what it is. Start out right away. As soon as you have an income, you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on the 80%. As long as you learn to live on the 80%, stay in that range, then you're always going to be okay financially if you live on 80% of your income. But you can still give that way, and you can still save that way if you're living on 80% of your income. The problem is we we go over our heads in debt. You know, we make obligations financially that that we shouldn't have made. We don't stay in the 80% range, and then we have to pull from somewhere else, right? Where do we pull from first? The things that won't hurt us. Won't hurt us individually, we think, immediately. We won't feel it immediately. Giving is one of those areas, and saving is one of those areas that we can pull from very easily, very quickly, so that it doesn't hurt us in the moment when we're doing it. But friends, when you don't give, it does hurt you more than you think. When you decide that can't be part of your budget, it does change who you are. It changes your character. It changes how you think about others and the ministry. It changes how you think about the church. Now when the pastor talks about giving, you resent it. You don't don't like it when he does that. Why? Because you know you're not doing it. And you're trying to justify not doing it somehow. But this instruction to give is all through Scripture. From beginning to end. Old Testament, New Testament. It's, all, it's there all the way through. The instruction from God that his people are to give. So if we're going to follow his instructions. And we're going to be pleasing to him. And we're going to represent him as the generous God that he is. Then we have to start with giving. And you can start with a simple plan like the 10-10-80 plan. Or you can start in a different way. But start somewhere. 
Start giving. Make that part of your budget. Well, it's not just give, though. There's more to it than that. He says not only to give, but to give generously. Oh, man, now, Pastor Andy, you're meddling now, man. Now, you know, how do you define generously, right? Give give generously. Well, he he tells us here, uh, again, remember, he gave the Macedonian example. But look at verses 5 and 6 again. He says to them, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift that you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Hmm, remember this, right? This is the principle. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap how? Generously. You see, God's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he put a principle in place in his created order of things. It is the law of sowing and reaping. He put that in creation. It works that way in every part of his creation. If you sow sparingly, what are you going to get in return? A sparing return. But if you sow generously, what are you going to get in return? A generous return. That's, that's a set law of the created order of things by God. And it works in our personal lives too. And not just financially, but financially too. But that's part of it. When you sow generously, you're going to reap generously as well. Now, I know there are plenty of churches and pastors that abuse that and try to make promises to you that the scripture doesn't promise. Like, if you will just give more, just give a little bit more, keep giving more, God will bless you with wealth. You know, and in America, wealth is, you know, wealth. It's big time wealth, right, in America. And so people are being led to believe by some pastors and some churches that God's plan is to make you wealthy as long as you're giving generously. And that's not taught in Scripture anywhere. It's simply not. But blessings are taught. The care of God is taught. We have the example of God always making sure needs are met when, when you give generously. So Jesus, on one occasion, if you want to know how to define generously, generously giving, Jesus wanted to define it for his disciples. He was walking with them uh, outside the entrance to the temple. And they sat down just outside the entrance to the temple. And he said, look, watch. He was watching with them. And they were watching people. The way the temple was constructed, it's a little bit like what we do today with the offering boxes. Uh, they had offering boxes outside the entrance to the temple. So as people came into the temple, they would bring their offerings and they would put them in those boxes on the way in to the temple services that day. And he said, watch, watch. And they watched and they were a wealthy people that came. And the impression is they kind of looked around to make sure everybody was watching, you know. And they would give this great big amount into the offering box. And, you know, maybe they'd say, oh, I can't get it all in there. Could you help me, you know, to bring some attention to it? And they made sure everybody saw how much they were giving. But then there was this widow that came. And she pulled out one little coin called a mite. And she put that in, the widow's mite. You've heard of it. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know what, that widow gave more than all the others combined. And they were shocked. I mean, they had been impressed with how the wealthy people had put so much in the boxes. And she said, no, that, that lady gave more than all the others because she gave all she had. They gave from their surplus 
she gave from her only resource to live. If you want to define generosity, there it is. It's that attitude. It's that approach. Where even when it's a struggle, you still give. Even when it's hard, you still give. You still put God first. You still honor him. Which leads to the next thing, and that is not only do you give and give generously, but but give quickly. Uh, I put quickly there. I don't know why I picked that word, but I like it. Because the, the idea is, as soon as you get some money, what should you do right up front? Give. Because if you don't, what happens? Stuff. Stuff always happens, right? I know where your mind's going. Some people use other words for that. I'm just saying stuff happens, okay? <laughs> stuff happens. And when stuff happens, what happens to the money? The money goes to the stuff, right? Because stuff just happened. If you haven't already given it, what's going to happen? Stuff that you have to throw money at to get it fixed, to get it taken care of. So if you don't give right away, then there's a problem. Look, look again. Let's go back to the very first verse one. He says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. <laughs> Did you catch the humor in that statement? If there was no need to write about it, why did he just write about it? Right? It's like the parent that says, I know I don't have to tell you to pick those clothes up. Right? I know I don't have to tell you again. What do they really mean? I just had to tell you again. Right? Because you haven't done it yet. And that's what Paul is saying to them. I shouldn't have to tell you again. But you haven't done it yet. You said you were going to give this generous offering, but you haven't given it yet. And I, he says, I, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. In other words, guys, I know I don't have to tell you this, all right? But, but still, I've been bragging about you guys and how generous you are and how you're going to give this wonderful offering. And here's, here's what I'm worried about. If the Macedonians come with me when we come to collect this offering and you haven't done it yet, it's going to be embarrassing because I've been bragging on you as generous people and you're not following through with your generosity that you said you were going to do. I don't want you to be embarrassed, he's saying. So I know I don't have to write to you about this, but just in case, I'm going to send some people ahead of time there to you to help you get ready Right to make sure this is taken care of so that when we arrive and the Macedonians that sacrifice so much arrive with me, you're not going to be embarrassed when they get there because you haven't done what you said you were going to do. God set this pattern early on with his people in the Old Testament law. It was the tithe. The tithe was, that's where we get kind of the 10-10 principle too. The tithe, the word tithe means a tenth. So God gave the law to his people Israel that Right off the top, they were to give 10% back to him of all that they got. Now, for some, if they were farmers, it would be 10% of the crop, right, of the harvest that they brought in. If it was, they raised herds, it was 10% of the herds. Whatever the income was for them, they were to give right up front 10% of it to God. Now, for, for a farmer, think about that. God's instruction was, you give it first. So as soon as they start bringing in the harvest, what did they do? They brought the first fruits that was called back to God. Was there any guarantee that the rest of the harvest was going to come in when they did that? No. 
You can't guarantee that because at first you've got crops coming in that everything's still going to go well and there's going to be more behind that to take care of you. Why would he require them to do that up front, the first fruits? Because it shows that they're putting God first and they were trusting God for the rest. That's why. You see, if we wait to see what we have left over to see if we're going to give to God or not, how much faith are we really putting in God there? We're not. We're not putting faith in God at all. If we're waiting to the end of the month and saying, oh, well, I've got a little left. Maybe I can give some to the church now. It's not demonstrating faith at all. So giving quickly is a demonstration that I trust God for the rest. God, I know stuff's going to happen, but I also know you got it. You've got this. You've got me in your care. It doesn't mean nothing bad's going to happen. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any struggles. It means God's got you, and you believe that. You trust him for that. So you go ahead and give. Knowing stuff might happen, but knowing God knew ahead of time what stuff might happen. And he's already got a plan for you, a way to get you through it, a way to care for you through it. So give, give generously, give quickly, right up front. That's the instructions that Paul's given us here to follow and how we give to God. Well, there's another part of the instruction that I love the most. Give cheerfully, he says. Give cheerfully when you give. Now, pastor, it's even harder, right? I got to give, and I got to give generously, and I got to give quickly, and I got to do it cheerfully, man. That's just, that's asking too much, pastor, for me to be happy about this, right? To give cheerfully. Look, look at verse 7 again. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. Now, if you've been around Lake Shore a long time and you've heard my teaching on this, you know that the word translated a cheerful giver is the root word that we get the English word hilarious from. Okay? God loves a hilarious giver. Now, what does that mean? It means this is fun for us. We have a good time with this. I enjoy being able to give. I can tell you this. We give online, and, and we get this statement on, uh, in our emails where a gift has been given. It shows the record that we gave the gift. And you know what? Every time that email comes up, or when I pull up my emails and I see that, I know my wife has set that up, and she's taking care of it. Thank you, honey. She does a great job with all that. Because, you know, I, I, I would set it up but not really watch it very well. But she takes care of stuff, and, I, and that's why she's doing that. Uh, but when I see that come across, I literally just almost laugh. I almost just giggle and celebrate now. Now, sometimes people walk by my office, and they'll hear me in there just kind of giggling and wondering, what's Pastor Randy looking at in there? It's my giving statement that God allowed us to do that again. What a great blessing that he provided something for us to be able to give. I mean, I couldn't have done that without God providing it to start with. That's, that's great. That's, and you know what's hilarious to me is that he's willing to do that over and over and over again if I'm faithful with it like I need to be. He's faithful to keep providing it. Have we been through some hard times where we couldn't do the same amount or as much or, or, or do it the same way? Absolutely. We've been through stuff like that too. No doubt about it. But God's never forsaken us ever. And he won't forsake you either. 
So he loves for us to have joy in our giving. I'll talk more about why it's so joyful in the second part of this, the incentives that we have. But, but I just know what God can do with that money. I know I've seen it. I've experienced it. I, I've watched it happen for all my years as a pastor, how God takes those gifts and does so many good things with them. And that's why it's so much fun to do it. Because you know you're giving it to a God who will multiply it and use it in such powerful ways. And you get to be a part of that when you give. You say, well, I can't give very much. Well, God can take a little bit and do a lot. He can. He can take a little bit and do a lot with it. Because if you're doing it and 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 I'm doing it and we're all pooling that together, uh, all those little bits add up and God does great things with those things. And that's fun when you recognize God is allowing you to be a part of the greatest adventure in the human experience, the work of the kingdom of God. You get to be a part of that. You should just feel good about giving. Makes you like God when you do it. Give cheerfully, hilariously. Well, that's the plan. Give and give generously, give quickly, give cheerfully, right? Those are things that, that we have to keep working on and remind ourselves of. Those are disciplines that we got to put into our daily lives as Christ followers, that this becomes a habit. It becomes who we are. It's not a question of, am I going to give? It's, it's already understood. I'm a giver. I'm like my God, and I'm a giver, and he's a giver, so I'm going to be giving. It's just a matter of making sure you, you work the plan, right? You've got that as a habit of your life, and you start having joy with it the way God wants you to. And you don't resent it when the pastor talks about giving because you know God has used you in that process and he's done some good things because you were faithful in your giving and you can see that God is faithful and taking care of you. And so it's no longer something that you resent the church talking about. Well, those are the instructions. What's the second area? Remember, we're also going to look at the incentives for giving. Why, why should I do this? Why, why should I participate in this? Well, there are a lot of incentives. I, I picked out a few that Paul talks about here. One is, is that giving like this to the work of the kingdom, it's actually a wise investment for you to make. A wise investment. Sometimes we, we give to something or, or we, we have to give money or pay for something. And we just think, man, that was a waste. I, I just wish I hadn't done that. Uh, I feel like I've wasted my money. Uh, or you have, like if you're a boss and you have an employee, and you're paying a salary and it's just not working out. They're just not doing their job. Don't you, you kind of resent paying them the paycheck, right? If, you, if they're not really doing what they're supposed to do. There, there was this boss who was talking to his assistant about one of his workers. And he says, oh, George. George is so forgetful. It's a wonder uh, he was a salesman. It's a wonder he can sell anything. He's just so forgetful. I, I sent him to, to pick some sandwiches up when he came back from lunch today to pick me up some sandwiches. I bet you he doesn't bring them back. I bet he forgets to bring me my sandwiches. And, and, and he may even forget to come back to work. He's so forgetful. About that time, his employee, George, busted through the door, and he was all happy. He says, you'll never guess what happened while I was at lunch. I ran into old man Brown, and he hasn't bought anything from us in years, and we got to talking. He ended up giving me a half a million dollar order today. His boss looked at him and noticed he didn't have the sandwiches, and he looked at his assistant and said, I told you he'd forget. <laughs> you see, you have to look for why it's a wise investment to give to something. Sometimes you don't see it right up front. You're looking at the wrong things. 
And sometimes when you give to the church or to the work of the kingdom, you, you don't realize, you, you don't look for the right things to see that God is using it in some really good ways. It is a wise investment to give to the church. Let's look at what he says here in verse 6. Remember this, remember whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. All right, so it's a wise investment because you are going to reap generously when you give generously. I, I don't know how many of you have uh, a savings account right now or any kind of investment right now, but if you have anything like that, interest rates are really, really low, aren't they? You're not getting a lot of return on some of those investments, and it can be discouraging sometimes. I mean, almost nothing on a savings account, just a basic savings account at the bank. You don't get hardly anything on that, right? So, so you're thinking maybe it doesn't make sense then to put it in there. Are there things that might be better? And that's what you have to think about with your investments for God. Does it make sense for me to give, to give to the local church, to give through the local church for the work of the kingdom? Are, are there good things that are coming from that? Is it a wise investment? I've already talked about it a little bit. It's a wise investment for you personally because it makes you like God. Let's look at verses, though, 8 through 11. He talks more about the benefits. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly. Here's the return. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He goes on. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Does that sound like a good return on your investment? He's going to provide you everything you need all the time. And even give you the ability to not just be generous the first time, but the second time and the third time and for the rest of time. He's going to keep giving you the ability to be a generous person by providing for you the store of seed that you need to be generous with. Pretty good return on investment, right? But there's more to it than that now. But, but that, that's the beginning point of the return on your investment is how God responds to you when you invest in the work of the kingdom. He's going to make sure that you are cared for. Now, you don't do it. Here's the thing. That giving like God doesn't mean you give to get. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying the natural result of giving like this is you do get blessed. It's just the natural result, result of being a giver is you get the blessing from it. We always hear it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? We, we've heard that statement. But most people don't know the reality of it until they actually put it into practice. Right? You have to actually do that consistently to know that that is a true statement in the, in the kingdom. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But the thing is, you do receive when you give. We, we shouldn't overlook that. We shouldn't downplay that. We are going to receive blessing from the process of becoming a giver the way God wants us to be a giver. It is going to bless us to do that. And the blessings are just so many, and I'm going to talk about a few more of them here in a minute. But, but the first blessing is you know God is going to take care of you. You learn to trust him. And here's the thing. The only way to know you can trust God is to step out there and do it. That's the only way to know. You can hear other people talk about it all you want. You can hear the pastor tell you and teach you this is the way it works. 
all you want, but until you actually start doing it, you don't experience God's care and God's blessings. You have to do it to experience it. And, and that's true with all of God's word. The blessing of all of God's teaching comes in the doing, not just the knowing, not just the understanding. It's in the doing that you get the results, that you get the blessings, that you get the return on the investment that God wants you to make in this. So if you want a good return on your investment, you have to step out there and make the investment. Are investments risky? They seem to be. Some of them more risky than others, right? I mean, there are some things you don't want to invest in. Like, uh, you know, they used to say, I got some swamp land in Florida, I'll sell you. And everybody thought that was a big joke until Disney built Disney World down there on the swamp land in Florida. Right? It didn't look like a good investment to everybody else, but he was able to get it done. He was able to step out and take the risk and get it done. He got a great return on his investment, right? So you have to know, all right, there are certain things that are worth the stepping out in faith to do. And in this case, investing in the work of the kingdom of God, it's really not a risk at all. When you've got God promising, the God who keeps every promise he ever made, promising to take care of you when you step out like this, that's not a risk. That, that's, that's a guarantee of return on your investment. So we know that there are things that would indicate to us that giving like this is a wise investment. Here's another result of it. Look at verse 12. It meets needs that are out there. This service you perform, he says, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Remember, they're taking up the special offering to help out their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. And they have great needs at the time. And that's why they're taking up this offering that he's talking about at the moment. They needed food, shelter. They needed basic needs to be met that they couldn't meet on their own right now. And this offering was going to meet those needs. It was going to help take care of those things that were needed most. And sometimes you can make a direct connection to it like that, and that makes it easier to give. Like any time there's a disaster, right, a tornado hits or some kind of disaster hits, people respond right away because you can see right away, all right, these people need some food or they need some shelter or we could give some, some water for the workers out there. Cleaning. You know, you see a direct, immediate correlation between the giving and the results of it. But sometimes when you give, you don't see that right away. And sometimes that makes you question, should, do I really have a good incentive for doing this? So I wanted to take just a moment today to talk to you about how you're giving at Lakeshore is meeting needs that need to be met. I mean, right here in our own church family, needs that are being met. We don't ever publicize it because people need to know it'll be held in confidence, but we've helped people stay in their homes that were about to be evicted. We've helped people keep the lights on, keep heat and air going. Heat in the cold of the winter and air in the heat of the summer. We've helped families keep groceries on the table. We, we've, helped, we've helped people that were just overwhelmed by medical bills or a cost of a funeral. And it was going to just cripple them financially if they didn't get some help. Now, how do we do that? Because we've got people who gave. People who gave so that we could pool the money together and use it for things like that. Oh, it's more than that, though. We've provided counseling for people that are going through struggles emotionally, 
marriage struggles that they're having that we could provide some help for them. I mean, there, there's so many. I, the list could go on and on and on. And, and, and uh, let's think more practical. How many of you are glad that air conditioning is on in the building today? I think everybody here is kind of glad. Now, some of you are freezing and you don't know. But if we didn't have air, you wouldn't like that either because it would be too hot for you, right? Well, how do we, when you get a bill at your house, how do, what has to happen? It's going to be paid or it's going to be cut off. How do we keep, well, this is a big building. How do we pay for that? The Smyrna campus, you've got heat and air there. How do you pay for that? How does the church pay from your offerings? That's how you pay for that. You like having a preacher or a teacher for your life group. You like having programs. You like having your kids have a program to go to, right? Where they're being raised up to learn about Jesus and learn to follow Jesus and make decisions to make Jesus the Lord of the How do we do that? Your offerings help make that possible. We can't do it without that. We can't staff those things, provide those materials, those resources without doing that. Paying for the building itself, right? One of the things that we really, I want to thank our elder team for that really is a mindset that we developed, and that is a church building costs a lot of money. And so if we're going to get a good return on our investment, we don't want to just use it for a few hours on Sunday morning, right? Wouldn't that be a waste for a building to cost that much money and only be used for a few hours on Sunday morning or maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, whatever church programs they've got. So we use our building as a community center, there's stuff going on here all the time, and we have community groups that come in and do things in this building. And, and it's used, and people see this building, and they think this church represents Christ well because we care for this community, and they know we care for this community. Same thing with the Smyrna campus. We put a campus there because we care about that community, and people know when you invest in that, it's because you care about their community. We couldn't do that if you didn't give your offerings. We couldn't provide that for the community if you didn't give your... Now, we know the church is not the building, but it's a tool that the church can use to bless the community and to bless the members of the church at the same time. Some of you are glad we've got padded seats, right? Well, they didn't come free, did they? They actually had to be purchased so that you could have the nice padded seats. I like padded seats, too. I'm in favor of that. But they're not free. So we, we say we want our church to do good things and we want it to be involved and we want it to make a difference in the community. Well, that can't just magically happen without members giving to support the work of the church. And, and the list could go on and on. This church supports the branch food pantry. That's an outreach in the community where families can come and get some help. We support it with volunteers, but we also financially support it. They've got a fundraising dinner coming up. Because of your generosity and your giving, even through a pandemic, we were able to be one of the main sponsors for that fundraising dinner for the branch food pantry. That impacts our community big time. How could we make that donation? You gave your offerings to make it possible for us to give that donation. Youth for Christ has a big fundraiser coming up, that organization that makes such a difference in the schools and in the prisons with our young people and with uh, teen moms and all the different programs that they do. We support Youth for Christ. They're doing a golf tournament fundraiser, and, and we're able to be one of the sponsors for that golf tournament fundraiser so they can continue their work and their ministry in the schools and in the community around us here. How could we do that? 
Because we've got people who love Jesus and want to be like Jesus and give. That's how we can do that. You see, you got to see the connection between you putting that in the box or sending it online or mailing it into the mail. You've got to see the connection between that and what God takes that and does with it. The list goes on and on and on. We're able to help with White Mills Christian Camp where our kids just go to, you know, went to weeks of camp and were able to be uh, taught about their, their walk with Jesus and they, they make friends for life. We're able to help support uh, when we have young people that want to go to one of our Bible colleges and our brotherhood. We're able to help give them some assistance with tuition uh, because of your offerings and your gifts. And they go there and they get Christian education and training and equipping to serve God in their lives. We are able to do all all of that and more because God's people made the connection and saw this is a good investment when I give to the local church. And every time somebody comes down the aisle and confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we get to go baptize them in that baptistry, I hope you see the direct connection between your gifts and somebody's life being changed for all eternity. That's a good investment, people. It's a wise investment to make because needs are being met. Well, I want to quickly give you two more. It's also a testimony of your faith. Look at verse 12 and 13, right? This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. It's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Did you catch that? It's a testimony of your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. How do you confess the gospel? There are a lot of ways, but one of them is what? Your giving. It's how you confess the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. That's one way you confess or profess that you really believe the gospel is true. It's through your giving. And, and people are going to praise God because of the testimony of your faith. I just got this week two thank you notes from one from the branch and one from Youth for Christ thanking God for Lakeshore Christian Church just this week. And we get them all the time because you are helping us make that kind of impact. Our testimony as a church is reaching the community and the world because you understand what a wise investment it is to give to the work of the church. It's a testimony of your faith. And I hear people all the time that share with me, Pastor, we're so thankful for this church. It has changed my life forever. Maybe you're one of those people that can say that. Or the people that gave before you helped make it possible for you to be able to say that now. So maybe you can do that for some others. Maybe others you don't even get to meet on this side of heaven. But you're going to see them there. And they will praise God for the obedience that accompanied your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you gave. And finally, the result is expressions of thanks to God. I mean, he goes on to talk about here how so many people are thanking God for them and their gifts and the difference that it's made. Their hearts are going to go out to you. They're going to praise God for it. And then he concludes in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Churches get a bad rap when they 
are ridiculed for preaching on and teaching on giving. Pastors get criticized for it all the time. But friends, let me tell you something. If we leave this out of our teaching and you leave it out of your life, it's going to rob you of one of the greatest blessings you could ever experience and enjoy. It is. I have never as a pastor been embarrassed to teach and preach on giving. Not because we've needed the money. God's going to provide that. Because you need to give and I need to give. To get the blessings that God wants us to get. To enjoy the life that God wants us to enjoy. And to make the impact in the world that God wants us to make. And to know that God is using you to do that. What a blessing that is. All of this comes back to what he said about the Macedonian churches. You remember back in chapter 8? He bragged on how they were able to give generously under terrible conditions. You know what he said about them? Here's what they did. They gave themselves first. That's the only way you can become a giver. Financially or any other way. You have to give yourself. You have to give your heart. Jesus said there's a direct connection between the heart and your giving and giving in your heart. He says where your treasure is, that's where what is? Your heart is. You see, that's the key. It's the heart issue. It's not even a financial issue. It's a heart issue. This giving thing is. Maybe today there's somebody listening online, maybe at the Smyrna campus or here, that, that has never really given themselves over completely. That's, that's the beginning. That's what God wants. He wants you. He wants your heart surrendered to him. Then this, this giving thing will take care of itself when you get the heart right with God. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you that, that you are such a giver. <laughs> Every good and perfect gift we enjoy comes down from you father we just want to acknowledge that that we're only stewards of the stuff you give us help us to be good stewards to manage it well but father more than anything else help us to be changed from within our hearts to be more like you to be the kind of giver you are father to us and may we do it because we know how much you love us how much you've got us in your care and you're not going to leave us or forsake us you're going to make sure we're taken care of. Father, help us to have the joy in our giving that you plan for us to have when we understand why this, this matters so much. Father, I pray that for someone who needs to take that first step of surrendering themselves to you, that today would be that day where they don't hold back anything anymore and they give themselves first and completely to you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.